Mother's Day um, was started by a lady named Anna Jarvis. It was started in 1907, and she started it to honor her mother. And her mother had recently passed away, and so she started it there in 1907 in West Virginia. Now, there, there's other kind of cele celebrations elsewhere in the world that celebrate moms, celebrate women, but for America, we know it as Mother's Day, and that is how it started. Within five years of its start, it had spread to uh, every state. Every state within five years was celebrating it. However, it soon uh, became commercialized, and people began to profit from it and make money from it, and that is why you pay $7 for a card, $30 for a flower, all those things, right? Um, and so Anna, who started, Anna Jarvis, by the end of her life, she spent her life fighting for the abolition of the holiday that she created. She wanted to stop it. She got mad at the commercialization of it, and she wanted to stop it. It was really, really interesting. At most churches on Mother's Day, uh, we spend Mother's Day talking about moms and how great they are, and we celebrate our moms, how wonderful they are. Father's Day rolls around, and we like beat the dads up, and we tell them like, you stink, you need to get it together, you need to be a good man, and we like just bring out the punching bag. And uh, at our church, we try not to do either one of those things. We, at, at our church, we believe in what's called expository preaching, and that means that we believe that we should uh, go through books of the Bible, uh, chapter by chapter, uh, verse by verse. And so we really have the approach of preaching through the, the, preaching through the Bible, preaching through the book of Luke. And by God's sovereign plan and God's sovereign hand, we're going to talk about women today on Mother's Day. The literal heading of, uh, which the heading isn't, by the way, it's not, uh, you know, it's not scripture, but the heading is women accompanying Jesus. And that's that's where we are. And so it's a very fitting place that we are on Mother's Day. Um, here's where I want to start, though. As we, as we um, really dive into the Scripture, I want to start with a general understanding of the world. And here's the general understanding I want to start with, is that the world mistreats women. The world mistreats women. It always has mistreated women. Uh, where we are in the Bible, it's first, the first century. Uh, we are in the first century. We're in Roman culture. And in first century Roman culture, women were treated as a second-class citizen. So it didn't matter what, what uh, race you were, ethnicity you were, you were always lower than your male counterpart. There's a lot of things that you couldn't do. By the way, when Mother's Day started in 1907... You could not vote yet, right? You're at the, towards the end of the women's suffrage movement, but you're not there. The women's suffrage movement in America started in the 1940s, and by the 1920s, it was kind of the end of the women's suffrage movement when women got the right to vote. And so the world has mistreated women, not just in our culture, not just in Roman culture, but I think in, in most cultures, in most of time. And so I think history just shows that. History, history you, can, you can see the mistreatment of women throughout the course of the world. Now, 
in our day, in our time, in our culture, as it applies to us, we are operating with our understanding of uh, the mistreatment of women through uh, the feminist movement of the 1970s, 1980s, and it even carries on today. So a lot of things, and when we think about women and how they should be treated, comes from the feminist movement as we know it. Now, here's what I want to tell you, and, and I'm the first person that's going to stand up and go, we have mistreated women across time and across culture. I'm going to be the first person that says we have misdiagnosed the problem. Therefore, when you misdiagnose a problem, you get the wrong solution. Right? If you've misdiagnosed the problem, you're going to come up with the wrong solution. Imagine you're working on your car for a second. Imagine the car won't, won't start, and so you start like looking at the tires. Right? That's not where you look. First, if you're doing that, you just need to call Ross, uh, Fort Collins 4x4. They'll handle it for you. Just plug that right there. Uh, I think there's another automotive shop in church too, whatever, like just pass that off. But it's a misdiagnosis. And so I think the world within our modern feminist movement has misdiagnosed the problem. Therefore, what we're getting is the wrong solution. And man, if you were a feminist in the 70s and 80s and 90s, you should be really upset with where we've ended up today. Where, where men are coming in and claiming to be women and, and taking your rights from you in this really strange way. It's kind of a dumpster fire. And so I think as we go into this, I'm going to make the argument that Jesus gets it right. That when we want to talk about the way we should treat women, we should look to the Bible. The Bible gets it right. Now, it's not just that Jesus that came and got it right. I believe from Genesis to Revelation, God gets it right. God ha has, he ordains, he says this is how it ought to be. Now, some of you in your, your, in your head just had these thoughts pop up. What about X? Name the person in the Bible. Remember, we always have to draw a line between what is prescriptive in the Bible and what is de descriptive in the Bible. And we see something, when we see a woman who's sinned against in Scripture, it's, it's showing that the root is sin. It's not being prescribed by God. It, it's, when we see the mistreatment of women, it's, it's because of a fallen sinful nature, not because of what God has said or God has done. And so as we get started this morning, here's the big truth that I want us to walk away with. I believe we can take this right out of Scripture. The gospel is good news for women, for they are equal in the kingdom of God. The gospel is good news for women, for they are equal in the kingdom of God. Verse Chapter 8, verse 1 is where we're going to start today. We're in the book of Luke. We've been in the book of Luke since the end of November. Uh, we went through the Advent series. That was like pretty well planned out to go through Advent. And then after that, we've kind of let the chips fall where they lay. Um, I want you to notice that like this is God's sovereign hand and God's sovereign plan for us to talk about this today. This is not my planning. If you think that somehow I plan to talk about women on, women on Mother's Day, and you think I could plan that far ahead, you don't know me very well. Um, I don't plan anything that far ahead, except maybe elk season. Other than that, I don't plan it that far ahead. And so here we are. Uh, soon afterward, he went out through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. 
And twelve were with him, and also women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So, now let's just dive back into verse 1 and begin taking it apart. The first words that we see soon afterward should just remind us to look back quickly to where we were last week. A story of a sinful woman forgiven. And recall a memory from last week that this was a woman who, when got the chance to hear Jesus talk, comes into the room with Jesus and she worships him. She worships at his feet. And she, she just left all dignity out there. I mean, she just, in, in the most emotional way, brings herself before the Lord and worships him. And she did so because she realized the weight of what Christ did for her in forgiving her of her sins. She realized just the magnitude of the Messiah. And so she had worshipped him. And so this was a, a woman. And remember what the men did. The men kind of sat back and pronounced judgment on her. And then Jesus took them to task. And Jesus said, no, you need to be like this woman because she understands how great the dead it is that she's been forgiven. Therefore, she loves me more than you love me. Get over yourself, big boy. And so that's where we are. So soon afterwards, he went out through the cities and villages. And what did he go out doing but proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God? And so here's the first big idea that I want to show you is that the gospel is good news for all who believe. So, my big truth is, is saying, the gospel is good news for women, for they are equal in the kingdom of God. I, I don't want to separate that out, but I want to step aside and go, I'm not saying it's not good news for men. No, it's good news for everybody. The gospel is good news. And this is the gospel, is that we, as the human race, are a sinful people. We have a sin nature. And it is our very nature that we would rebel against God. That what God tells us to do, we go, I don't want to do it. I want to do things my way. I want to be my own God. I don't want to submit myself to a heavenly God. I want to be my own God. And so we have a sinful nature. And our sinful nature leads us to sin. And we don't just commit one sin as, the, as, as people. We commit sins over and over and over. We rebel against God. And that sin that each of us have in our lives combined creates this broken world. A, a world of brokenness and sinfulness. God sent Jesus Christ his son to redeem his world, to redeem the sin in the world, to save us from our sin. And so the Bible says that none are righteous, not even one. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is this, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. That meant God's, God sent his son Jesus, born of the virgin Mary, to live this perfect and spotless life. It was literally God in the flesh. To be crucified on the cross to pay the price that you and I deserve and the rest of mankind. He paid the price on the cross that he was put in the grave. 
And God doing what only God could do three days later. He raised his son from the dead, proving he was God. And the good news is that all who believe will be saved. The Bible teaches us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, you will be saved. It's good news. So when Jesus came to the earth, he came primarily as a human being, not as a male. He came as a human to save other humans, not just to come a man coming to save men. He came as a human to save other humans. And what we must observe is what Jesus did and how he treated women in this passage, in this text today. He didn't treat women primarily as females, but as fellow human beings. He didn't just see women as objects of male desire. It wasn't about just sex for him. It wasn't sexuality. He saw them in terms of their relationship or their lack of relationship with God. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so he came to die for women the same as he did for men. One of my favorite Bible verses is Romans 1.16. And it says this, For I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And you go through, and what you begin to see is that when Jesus came, he came to save all. It doesn't matter of your nationality, your, your race, your skin tone, your social class, what part of the caste system you are in, or your gender. He came to save those who would believe. He came to call them unto himself. God loved us, and so we love him in return. And that is good news. Here's my next big idea. Notice there at the end of verse 1, and it says, And the twelve were with him, and also some women. Starting into verse 2, And the twelve were with him, and also some women. Here's my next big idea, is that men and women are equally vital to Jesus' ministry. Here we see that he's doing this ministry, and he's going from place to place, and he's got his twelve disciples with him, but he's also got women with him, and probably it seems like there are more women following him at this point than men. And so here's, here's the truth. The men and women are, are both equally vital to Jesus' ministry. He called both, and he used both, though in some ways he chose to use them differently. You know, so often in church, we want to focus on what women can't do rather than focus on what they can do. Um, it's no hidden thing that I am a complementarian. I believe this is a, a church that has a complementarian environment. And this is what that means, that I'm complementarian, and what I believe about the Bible, is that men and women, it takes both of them to complement each other, the both of them to reflect truths about Jesus. And we want to understand and know Jesus, we want to understand and know God, he uses both men and women 
to reveal himself to us. And you can't just take men and hold men up and say, this is what God is like. And you can't hold women up and say, this is what God is like. But he gives us together the both of them, the two of them, that, that God uses to reflect complementary truths about who Jesus is. And so when we start looking at what women can't, what, what, what can't women do and, and why this becomes the focus, I'll just bullet, bullet down to you for, for two, two things. It's headship. It's headship in the home and it's headship, headship in the, the church. We see ascribed uh, roles in ministry, gifting of men and women in the church, and that of leadership or headship. So to, to be real, real clear, we believe that men, elders, can only be men in the church. We see that in the New Testament. We believe the Bible ascribes that. Uh, I can show you the reasons in Scripture. That's not primarily what this sermon is about. That, that he ascribes male leadership uh, for the elders. And then also the second thing is in the home. That men should lead in the home. That men should be the head of the household. Now that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they're some sort of dominating dictator. Right? When we talk about servanthood and what it means, we'll talk about that in a minute, what it means for, for a husband to love his wife like Christ loved the church. That means that he's to love her and care for her and lead her. Now, often what happens is men excuse themselves of that responsibility. They run from that responsibility and leave women with no choice other than to lead in their home. The sin is on the man for his failure to lead. Now, I would just, just say that we ought to, rather than look at that one thing and get caught up in that one thing, we should rather focus on what women can do what women are called to do. And so, here's what you'd see in the Scriptures. If you open up the pages of the New Testament, you're going to see how incredibly important women are and that they're equal in Jesus' ministry. You would see women described in the Bible as generous patrons, meaning that there were women who funded Jesus' ministry. There were women who funded Paul's ministry. We see that they were great con con contributors in the church. It says that they were hard workers. Over, over and over, multiple places in Scripture, you're going to see that women are hard workers, that they can work just as hard as men. And so we want to get in the anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. We want to fight in that rather than going, yeah, like my, work, my wife works really hard, like really, really hard, and I'm thankful that my wife works as hard as she does. We're, we see it in Scripture that they're able to work hard. We see that they were edifying teachers. That we, we see women as teaching in the, teachers in the Bible that taught well. You're going to see uh, the, the commands for, for women to teach the younger women. You're going to see the commands for women to disciple women, to pour their lives into them. But we also see in the book of Acts, and we can pick up in Paul's letters, that, man, women did incredible ministries for the kingdom of God, that they started churches in their homes, that they would come to, come to faith, and they would teach others to follow also, which brings me to my next point. They were faithful evangelists. We see women in the New Testament to be people who shared the gospel, who proclaimed that Jesus saves. And so often, it wouldn't just be them that came to faith, it would be women and their whole Households. They were faithful evangelists. They were courageous partners. 
the courageous partners in the gospel. I want you to think for a second about the crucifixion. Who, was, who stood by Jesus' side the entire crucifixion? It wasn't his disciples, was it? They tucked tail and ran. What did the women do? They stayed there with them. The next morning, when, when, when Mary and Mary were going to the tomb, who did Jesus reveal himself to first? It was the women, because the men had tucked tail and were hiding. You're going to see later on, uh, the, we're going to talk about something later on, then the that there were women, when pa the Apostle Paul was in jail for the sake of the gospel, there were women in jail with the Apostle. They were cre courageous. They were, they were bold. They were not scared. They were empathetic caregivers. This is something we see and we ought to appreciate in Scripture. That the that, that empathetic caregiving that these women brought to the table. My wife is incredibly empathetic. I can muster up every ounce of empathy I have in my soul, and it does not compare what she carries around in her little bitty tiny pocketbook. Her empathy is a gift in our household and in our church. As she serves and ministers to our church and the things that she deals with and wrestles with and the care that she gives, it is a gift that, I'll just be honest, I don't have that gift to give. Listen to this. It says, worthy examples for us all. Not worthy examples for the men to follow, but the worthy examples for all of us to follow. If you're around me very long, you'll hear me talk about a woman in my life that's not my wife. <laughs> you'll hear me talk about a lady named Kathy Casey. Kathy Casey has, has passed away several years ago, uh, but in a lot of ways... She contributed to my love of the Lord and following the Lord as much as any man because she lived out her faith. Her and her husband, I lived with them a year before we got married. She was, was what I would say is like our boys, uh, our boys' surrogate grandparents. She loved our kids. She loved our family. She loved my wife, but her faith was incredible. Her walk with the Lord was incredible. I wanted my devotion to Christ to look like Kathy Casey's. If you could say, who is the person that you know that walked as closely with the Lord on this earth as anybody you've seen? I would say Kathy Casey. She was an example to me. She's not my only example. You hear me talk about Herschel York quite a lot, my mentor. His wife, Tanya, she's also quite the mentor to me. I've learned so much in life and ministry. Jennifer and I have from watching her and how they've uh, discipled their kids and their grandkids, how she loves in the church and the way that she serves. She's an example. And so when you, when you look at this, when you read this list of like all the things that they can do, and this could go on and on and on as we look at the gifting of those in the church. We must look back and go, yeah, they're, they're equal in, in worth. They're, they're vital to Jesus' ministry. Often, people kind of turn and, and point to the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, um, though Jesus talks about uh, headship, and I believe he, paint, he puts that picture forward. It's the Apostle Paul who more clearly states in his epistles the, that men should lead the church. You could say, you know, the Apostle Paul, like we, he was just like a female woman-hater club. Like, he founded it. He just hated, hated women. I don't think that's true. 
I think the Apostle Paul believed this very thing, that men and women are equally vital to Jesus' ministry. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 is the end of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And so, like he does in many letters, he's kind of sending sending greetings. He's telling telling his goodbyes. And in this list, starting in in verse 1, there are, I think, 29 people mentioned. And I think none of them are women. And listen to what he says and how he goes on about these women. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sincrea. By the way, just... I'm going to butcher these names. It's going to be awful. But you don't know them either, so it'll all work out. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. I read that and I wonder, why don't we have more girls in our church named Phoebe? Greek. Prissa and Aquila, by the way, uh, most scholars believe that's Priscilla that we see in the book of Acts. Luke just spelled it this way, and by the way, he wrote both of them, so just saying, he's a man. Uh, Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentile give thanks as well, greet also the church in their house. And so here he's saying, look, this this woman stuck out her neck for my ministry. This woman was legit. And also tell all the people that go to her house church, hello for me. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who worked hard for you. Okay, we've got Mary, a hard worker. Greet Andronicus and Juna, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Look at Juna. In jail with Paul. She, went in, she was in jail. Most scholars, most scholars believe this was a Christian in jail for her faith, just like Paul. I don't know the circumstances around it, but when I read about Paul and I see the things and how he was thrown in, in prison because he was unashamed of the gospel, I have to assume that she was an, uh, unashamed of the gospel as well. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. He's saying, she's a big sister in the faith. Greet Implacius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Ar- Arbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachius. Greet Apellus, who approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Those are, I think that's the people of Herod's household, which is like a real kind of jab. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of uh, Narcissus. Uh, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa. Those are two women. Greet my beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet, now I love this one. Greet Ruf, uh, Rufus, 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 chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. And this is my Kathy Casey, who's like me saying to saying to Daryl Casey, hey, greet your mom. She's been a mother to me as well in, in, in the Lord. That we should be, listen, our church should be full of women who are mothering others in the Lord also. 
Don't take for granted, women in the church, your kids who are believers, your reach into their peers' lives and how that you make an impact on, on those people. Be of that kind of godly nature that you're like Rufus's mother. Greet Asyncretitis, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, another woman, Neros, and his sister, and Olympias, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And so how can you read this and see as he lists this out that men are, and women are equally vital into God's kingdom? That we, we look at this and we read and go, no, it takes both men and women to accomplish God's mission. And, and we don't need to be, this isn't, this isn't a contest, are men better, are women better? No, we are made in the image of God, male and female, he created them. There are only two types of disciples, women disciples and men disciples. There's nothing else. And they are equal and they are valid. And so here's the reality, that in the church you have both male and female. And we must do ministry together. It takes both. And so here's what I think, that we have to answer some questions about how we ought to operate together. How, how, what, what must we do as men and women together? And so the first thing that I, I think through here is, is, is this kind of line says that, you know, he has his 12 disciples with him and here is his women. How should those 12 disciples treat those women? That's a good question. That's a, that's, that's a good place to look. How should those disciples treat those women? And we know that they got, those disciples often got scolded for their treatment of women. Like there's a couple times that he had to show them, actually they're more holy than you are. Get it right, Bubba? And so here we are. How should men of the church treat the women of the church? The first one's really obvious. And the first one, the first one I think matters. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Because what, the, the way that men treat their wives as you come into the church reflects into every aspect of the church. Men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. They're to sacrifice for them. They're to lead them. They're to, it's, it's servant leadership. It, it is your role as the, as the husband to love your wife sacrificially. It's important. It matters to the rest of the body how you treat your wife. Let me tell you what is the most dangerous thing for a man. is to come to church and to say, look at me and look how well I treat my family. It's very dangerous for a pastor, and I believe it happens. And then to go home and treat her like she's the doormat. Shame on the man who mistreats his wife. This morning, there are, people in, in, there are people here, no doubt, that need to repent of how they've treated their wife this week. That you should love your wife and you should cherish her. That you should care for her. That you should, you should love her. So, so, so that's, that's number one. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Care for them. Cherish them. Keep your eyes off of other women. 
Keep your eyes holy before the Lord. Don't objectify women. Don't mansplain women, right? Anyway, which brings to the next, the, the next, the next point. I'm getting ahead of myself. How, how do men in the church treat other women? Paul's explaining how the church ought to conduct themselves, and he's, he's handling several items. And so uh, this is kind of the area he's in. He's explaining, okay, this is how we act in the church. And he says to, to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Do not rebuke an older man, but, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men as brothers. Treat older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. So first, let, let's, just, let's just handle older, older women first. As mothers. That we ought to treat the women in the church with as much respect and dignity that we should treat our mothers. They should be the mothers of the church. And so I want you to know, I have a goal. Miss Velma, sitting right here, Miss Velma has been with us since the very beginning. She was part of Southside. I want to treat Velma like my mom. Now, you know what I do when I tell my mama bye? I hug her. I never let a Sunday go by that I don't hug Miss Velma. Right? I want to honor her and cherish her. She's an important part of our church. She serves our church, and I love her. And Miss Velma, you know that I love you, don't you? That's how we ought to treat. That's how we ought to raise our young men to look at the, the older women in the church and to know that there are mothers in the church and that we love you and we, we care for you. Don't y'all let Velma go home unhugged. <laughs> H- hug the mothers in the church where, where it is not, where it is appropriate. Now, that being said, hug the mothers in our church. Don't y'all keep your hands off my wife. <laughs> she ain't your mama. Right? We ain't there yet. Now, when we're doing ministry and we're 75, hug her all you want, right? <laughs> hug her, make sure she leaves touch, make, she leave, make, make sure it is appropriate. But for the younger women, the women your age, the, the, the women not as the world treats, treats them as, as kind of sexual idols, but at sist, as sisters in all purity. Now, I got convicted because of how I treat my sister. And I'm from Georgia, not Alabama, so don't get, think, I think it's saying something I'm not. If I have one gift in life, it's giving my sister a hard time. I am an incredible little brother. Now, I don't say I'm incredible about a lot of things, but, like, I can't just rolls off the tongue. Any comment, like, anything. My, my sister, uh, who's 48? Ish, I think 48 is becoming a, a grandma this year. And so what do, you, what do you think that I do but go in and make her avatar like this really old grandma and then like screenshot it and send it to her as soon as I find out. You know, I, I mean, I can, I can give her the hardest of times in no time. And so I thought maybe I need to communicate this, like treat them as you want your sister treated because you mess with my sister, it's bad news, right? I'll protect her. Uh, so I, I was convicted. You know what? I need to show my sister more dignity and respect. With, with all purity and all seriousness, we ought to treat women in the church as our sisters in Christ. We ought to love them and cherish them. And th- That means we don't look at them. We don't look too long. It means we don't stare at them. It means we don't objectify them. But we value them and we love them and we cherish them. So men, keep your eyes on your wife. And be kind and courteous to everybody else, just like you do. Maybe not the bro hug, 
You know, maybe a handshake, a holy hug, a, a, a holy hug from the side, whatever it takes. But the, the, the point is, they're not your wife. Love your wife. Let somebody else love their wife and treat them as sisters. We are partners in the gospel together. We are here together ministering to reflect Christ to the world together. And so there should be no impurity involved in how we treat our sisters in the, the church. Let me just say, say I, I didn't say this in the first service. I missed this. Single men, as you seek a wife first, seek Christ first. You'll be all right without a wife for a little while. Let the Lord bring her to you. Seek a wife, but then as you, if you have interest in a female in our church, you better treat her with respect and dignity, and you better not cause her to stumble. Consider her needs above your own. Love her and cherish her in the pursuit of her, which means you better be really careful and really holy. And if you need advice on how to do that, I'd love to sit down and talk to you about it. All right. Those were expositional soapboxes. All right. I've got a few more of those. Let's get back in the text. And so here we, here we are. He's got these with him, these, these, the, the 12 disciples and the women. And it says, and also some women, right, who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others. Here's the next big idea I want to share with you, is that the gospel is good news for every social class. Now, there's some stuff I'm not dealing with here, right? I'm not going to deal with Mary Magdalene and her seven demons. We can talk about that later. It comes back up. Um, I, like, that's a big deal. The healing that took place, and we've already talked about healing a lot and, 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 and what would take place in Jesus' ministry and how he came to, to fight a spiritual battle, not a physical one, but the physical nature of it, the beauty of God in and, and healing. But rather, I want to talk about something else, is that, that Luke for, paints a picture for us of Mary Magdalene who would be one of the lowest rungs in the social class. And then Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, that all of a sudden you have somebody higher in the social class. And he's putting both of them as followers of Christ. He's showing you. Uh, I think many scholars in the past got it wrong that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Some other people thought that she was the, the sinful woman that was talked about before. I don't believe so from the study of Scripture. I, I don't but believe that we know what Mary Magdalene was other than that she had seven demons and that she was a devout follower of Christ and one of the first people that saw Christ after the resurrection. But the gospel is good news for Mary Magdalene, but also the people in the upper escalons of society and in power, that the gospel transcends social class. Now, social class is part of our fallen, sinful nature. Sinful cla uh, social class is a reality in our world, and it always has been, and until Jesus comes back, it will be. There's a reality. Like, if we think through a caste system, we live in a caste system. It's just not well 
defined. There are the haves and there are the have-nots and there's everything in between. And no matter where you are on the rung, you look at the people above you with disdain and below you with disdain. And so, here's the good news of the gospel is that it is for everybody. There is no one who buys their favor with God. There's, There's no one that in their poverty earns favor with God. That it is God's grace that he saves anybody. And so any, any sort of social classism, the gospel transcends. But I found it important to mention this, to, to look at this, because here's what I want to tell you. We ask how men in the church should treat one another. I think we have to ask how women in the church should treat one another. And so often in churches, and we even see this in the New Testament, and we see Paul kind of get after them. There should be no social class between women or men in the church, but it's often women kind of who create it. It's like, oh, we're this, and they're this, and they're that kind of woman, and we're this kind of woman. And, and man, we've got this clique or this circle, and they're, they're not one of us, and uh, women in here, y'all are looking at me, and y'all are acknowledging, like, this is real. This happens. There is some sort of social class that happens in the church. It should not be counted among us. We should treat women in the church, should build other women in the church up. We should love them, which means, and I'm saying this because it is addressed in Scripture, you should not gossip about one another. You should not meddle in other people's business. Don't go to meddling because you don't have anything to do. Get to work. No gossip, no meddling, no quarreling, no backbiting. Love one another. Care for one another. Minister to one another. Meet the other person where they are. Understand where they are coming from. Seek to hear them. Seek to get to know them. And welcome everybody into the church with open arms. Love the women in our church. When you see a visitor come in the door and you don't know them, welcome them into our church. It doesn't matter their social class. It doesn't, I, I would tell you, that I think in our church, if somebody, somebody pulled up here in, with extreme wealth or somebody pull, rolled up here extremely poor, that we would have to really work in our church to welcome both of them. Do it. Welcome both of them. The gospel transcends every social class. Which brings up one other question. How should women in the church conduct themselves? How should they lead themselves? This question would come up because as we look at these two other things, and we've got things talking about outward, uh, adorning yourself with uh, all sorts of fun things and what that does and the different idolatry that women have in their life. And here's what I would just tell you. Be holy because God is holy Seek the holiness of God. Seek, seek to not sin against God. Read the Bible. Read the New Testament. Jump in and see what it means to be holy and live that way. And this is what will happen. Listen, this is what happened. When they did all of that, these women followed Christ. It says that they provided for them out of their means. That means their ministry, that, that they were the patrons of, of Jesus' ministry. They provided for the kingdom ministry to be done. Here's the thing that I would tell you is that when God saves you, you serve him out of your means. 
When God saves you, you serve him out of your means. It doesn't matter what your means are. Remember, the widow's might is much greater than some fancy gift that's just a little fraction of what you have. And so, here's how the gospel works. Is that we don't earn salvation. We can't do anything to be saved. But once you come to Christ, you begin to live for Him. It's by grace you're saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one would boast. But we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we would do them, that we would walk in them. And so... The big idea that when God saves you, you serve him out of your means is one that we say over and over and over in our church. What God works in your heart works out. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives lives in me. The life I once lived in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God. We say every time we do a baptism, we quote Romans 6. And we say we're buried with Jesus in baptism and we're raised to walk in a new way of life. That when God saves you, you serve him. And so this is a call. This is a call to everybody, but specifically to women. We need your gifts in the church. We need you to serve in the church. We need to, you to be raised up in those gifts. You know the number one need, the, the number one thing that we need our women in our church to do right now is to disciple other women. We have a bunch of young, young girls in our church that raise their hands and go, I would like to be discipled. And we have very few women in our church raising their hands going, I'll disciple them. I'll pour my life into them. Some of you are going, well, I'm not there yet. Well, work at getting there so that you serve in the church. We need you. Believe it or not, it would be a really bad idea for me to, t- to, to, to spend a whole lot of one-on-one time with a 23-year-old girl teaching her how to live her womanly life following Christ. No, I need you to do it. Yeah. Raise up. Use what God has given you. Serve him out of your means. Women, I I just want to say, I value and I cherish you and I cherish the way you serve the kingdom of God. I cherish the way that you glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ. And I value the contributions that you make just as equally as any man in our church to proclaim, disciple, serve, and multiply. And so thank you for answering Jesus' call. Today as we close, I'm just going to ask, this is going to be a little different than normal. I'm going to ask the, the band to come back up. And this may be uncomfortable some of you. But men in the church, husbands in the church... I want you to put your arm around your wife. Kids that are in the service, I want you to put your hands on mom. And I want you to pray for your mom. I want you to pray for your wife. Boyfriends, pray for your girlfriends. Just watch where you put your hand high on the shoulder, not too tight. (laughs) Don't be getting too comfy here. Don't be praying inappropriate prayers. If you don't have a wife, if you've got a mom in the room, pray for her. If you don't have a wife or a mother in the room... Pray for your mom. Pray for your wife. If you don't have a wife and want a wife, guys, this would be a good time to pray that the Lord would give you a godly wife. Women, pray for other women in the church. And let's seek the Lord together because it is Him that we reflect with our lives.
So go ahead and stand. I'll get us started in prayer this morning. So Father, we come to you. Lord, thankful for your word. Thankful that you are creator and that you created both man and woman in your image. Lord, I thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, male and female. That we are equal in dignity, value, and worth to you. Lord, as the world is so broken and as they get it so wrong on the treatment of women, may it not be so in your church. And Lord, I would be the first to confess that the church has gotten it wrong. Religious institutions have gotten it wrong over and over and over again. May we not be one of them. May we seek to bring you glory and honor. May we seek to serve you and be holy. And may we treat each other the way that you've designed for us to be treated. May we love the Lord our God with all our, all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. And may we love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, give us a spirit in this church of honoring one another as we honor you. Lord, meet with us in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand, let's pray over those in our church.